Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Thank you, Mr. Kelly, for passing the baton. And welcome to you, folks. And thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly. And if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about whatever it is in your yard or your house plants, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Wow, the broadleaf evergreens have taken a beating out there. I was at a house the other day and not so good looking, lots of burnt foliage. So hopefully they'll recover. Every Saturday morning we get together to discuss your yard your landscape, your garden, your houseplants, how to improve things, when to do the pruning, what's this versus that, is that a bug or is that a disease, plant removal and plant installation, beyond all those other things we can talk about, and how to make the best choices. Remember my words, strictly open opportunities. Afterwards, it's going to take efforts, mental and physical both, on your part to get to continue on this great marathon called gardening. And remember, this is your show, and I certainly appreciate your being there and here. So thanks to Greg. He's producing again today. He's probably, he's got a long run here with the Garden Hotline. It's probably like been seven or eight years, I think, by now. But anyway, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've authored five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations, and I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. During the week, I do landscape consulting. If you'd like to me, if you would like to have me come to your home for a walk and talk, you can go to my website www.mikemillerdesigns.com. The homepage will have my email address and phone number. Probably email is going to be the easier way to go about doing it. Phone numbers, that back and forth stuff, you know, drives me a little crazy. But uh, so what? Crazy is what I'm all about. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Steps off right now. As I was watching, saw so many different flags, and boy, oh boy, they were really kind of whipping in the wind and whipping towards the north. That meant the winds were coming out of the south. I was pulled into a parking lot where it's an architectural great contrast Right here, the old cathedral and the gateway arch sitting right side by side. Both have a significant role in who and what St. Louis is all about. There's still a construction trailer there. Hmm, wonder what. It sits just beyond the arch grounds entry point, which has the hours for the visitor center, 9 to 6. And the grounds are open 5 a.m. to 11. And high above, wow, that moon. I don't know if this is that famous blue moon they were talking about or, you know, whatever it happens to be, but the moon was pushing the clouds out of the way, which 
was kind of great. So I got to see the moon a little bit this morning. There is still quite an extensive fencing system around the arch grounds. I'm not exactly sure what they're doing in the area that's fenced off, but uh, obviously they know what they're doing. I walked over and uh, took a look at the Mississippi River. Boy, the sparkles across the river with all the lights on the east side in Illinois, and the Mississippi River was just shining. It was perfect. And far to the eastern horizon, bright red-orange. Ooh, it was starting to look good. Like the sun was trying to push its way in, but I don't think it made it. It's still pretty gray out there. Crows were above. The church bell, the old cathedral church bell, rings out. Squirrels were bouncing around all over the place. And the openness of the arch grounds now is very different than it used to be, where it used to be like lined with trees along the pathway and everything else. It's extremely different, and it has a nice, you know, good feel to it. As uh, you look down, uh, there's a great way to get from the upper area of the arch grounds down to Lenore K. Sullivan. There's a, they, this was something that should have been done a long time ago. It used to be just steps. You had to go the steps. Now there's a nice, gentle ramp that heads downhill, and it's perfect. You can see some ornamental grasses. The lawn is still very tan there. The trees and shrubs are mostly deciduous, and uh, so I'm waiting for winter to get over so we can see some greenery in the trees and many of the shrubs. Security Pearl rolls uh, towards the south as morning begins, and it's time for me to leave the Arch Grounds Old Cathedral parking lot. Even though I wasn't supposed to park there, I did. And uh, there was a lot of people actually going to the church this morning. So I think that happens pretty much every day. But anyway, Mike Miller, KM Walks Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about what the winter has done to your plant material or how your house plants are doing, uh, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Somebody called in and asked about where they could get the, I guess they were looking for podcasts. In other words, my uh Whatever scenario, you can go to KMOX, K-M-O-X dot com slash audio. Find podcasts for all the shows on KMOX. Just click onto the Garden Hotline. And also, you can go to my website, www.MikeMillerDesigns.com. And that's, uh, I'm pretty lazy about my website. I do uh, a couple of the pages I've kind of just abandoned. But that's okay. Makes it more fun. Let's go to Jane, and Jane lives in St. Louis. Hi, Jane. How are you today? Fine, thank you. I have two poinsettia plants. One is three years old, one is two years old, but and they're blooming, but they get kind of gangly, and I want to know if when they're through blooming, can I cut them back? Will it kill them? No, it won't kill them at all. But if you have like four stems coming up, don't cut them all at the same time. You know, leave a couple of stems so you can see something, but uh, cut, you know, cut the other two down to however long they are. Cut them about halfway off. But that's what florists do. That's how they keep them nice and thick and bushy. But in their native habitat, poinsettias really elongate. You could have stems multiple feet long with just the bracts, the colorful bracts or the leaves slash flowers at the very tip. So that's just their natural habit. I do have 
just long stems. Right. That's what they do. I mean, that's how they grow. So it's just like a tree trunk and everything else. This particular plant, that's how it, you know, it grows. When you buy it, it doesn't look that way because the greenhouse that was producing them was, you know, they continue to keep them, keep them cut. Also, they have other chemicals that they can kind of reduce the elongation factor. Oh, okay. I thank you very much. Well, thanks, Jane, for calling, and thanks for having me on your show. Diane lives in St. Charles. Hi, Diane. Yes, um, this is Diane, and I'm sure you've covered this topic before, but I went outside the other day to clean up dog poop in my backyard, and the moles are just absolutely creating havoc back there. I have two dogs and a cat. What can I do that's safe for them to get rid of them? Uh, boy, oh boy. I mean, that's a, kind of a tough one, but uh, I would get a professional service if you've really got a major problem. And it's surprising that the dogs don't go after the moles. And the moles being active this time of year is a little bit strange because the ground until the last few, you know, until recently has been pretty much frozen. So the moles don't tunnel because they only tunnel to find to find food. And what the food they're looking for is earthworms. And earthworms, when the ground is cold or frozen, either one, they don't move very much. So it's really, unless the moles are desperate in your yard and they got to get food. But I will also say moles in February, this is their birthing month. So they may be doing all kinds of different things as a result of the females, you know, being pregnant or having just given birth and they're out there looking for food. But the, I mean, the traps, you can get the traps choker loop or victor spear trap and to keep your pets away from it just put the trap over an active tunnel area and put a bucket like a plastic bucket put a brick on top of it and that keeps your animals away from the trap but then it'll still allow the mold to trigger the trap and spear it okay and you know my cat she does get them every once in a while i haven't really? seen her with any since it's winter but yeah my cat will get them just every once in a while but the dogs don't go after them but, yeah, it's, I had heard you talking about uh, that this time of year they weren't out, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. And I went out there, and I'm like, man, what is the deal here? <laughs> oh, I also heard that if your neighbors don't, uh, because I noticed my neighbor's yards, too, are bad. Right. But I, I've been told that if they don't treat also, that it's not, they're just going to come back. And also, what do you think about those ultrasonic things that you get to put in your yard, too? Well, I mean... If you already got them in your yard, all it's going to do is keep them in your yard. So that's, you know, those go on the perimeter to kind of keep them from coming in. But you trap them in moles. If you have a nicer yard, you're going to have more earthworms. So consequently, the moles are hearing where the earthworms are, and they're going to migrate in. So if your neighbors have a horrible yard, you have a nice yard, you're going to have more earthworms. So the opportunity for the moles is just much greater for your yard. Or if all of you have nice yards slash lots of earthworms, then you're going to have moles. And especially if you back up to any kind of, you know, let's say native area or something like that, naturalized area. Yeah, I do have a creek back behind my yard. Oh. One, one other quick question. Squash bugs, the stink bugs. Ever since I planted squash two years ago, and I will never plant it again, <laughs> I've been in, infested with these bugs. Even in the winter, I'll get a box out of the garage to go through or my Christmas stuff. And there's one alive, and it's like, oh, no. I mean, it's, how do I get rid of them? Oh, they're so annoying. Wow. I would see, I mean, there's, 
basically with the insects, it's contact kill. So, I mean, you've got to, you know, use like even an insecticidal soap or something along that line, and you just got to shoot it right on them. There's nothing else you can really do. There's no preventative type thing that I have, you know, personally known that's, you know, very effective. Is it true? My son told me, Mom, if you squash them, they, they put out a smell that attracts other ones. Is that true or not? Well, they don't, that doesn't attract other ones, but it does smell. I will. That, <laughs> so. Uh, thanks for your help. I always enjoy listening to you. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, they do stink. I mean, that's kind of the nice part. I can remember as a kid, as a kid, you know, in Ellisville, uh, it was always kind of fun because, I, you know, I was just nuts, I guess. But I'd, like, squash these bugs, stink bugs, in my hand, and then I'd run at my, you know, <laughs> my sister and my brothers. They were all younger than me, so, and just try to rub it in their face and stuff like that. I was really kind of a mean guy. Anyway. Let's go now to Shiloh, Illinois, and into Chuck's yard. Hi, Chuck. Hey, Mike. Good morning. How are you, sir? Very good. Hey, reference the, the collar with the moles. Um, the spear traps, they, they, they work okay, but uh, I've had incredible success with the Victor out-of-sight mole traps. I mean, they're a little dangerous to set. Right. But, but since 2006, I've been in the same yard, and I've killed 86 moles. What? Yeah, so I'm, I'm bounded by a stream and a field, so they just naturally come into the yard. But um, the, the spear traps, eh, they're okay, but uh, experience has taught me that either you, you kill them or you, you really can't get rid of them. Right, I agree. There's no, I mean, the chemical and all that other stuff doesn't work, and I'm assuming this is a choker loop trap is what you're talking about? Actually, it, Mike, they're the, yeah, they're the kind that uh, Dave the Mole Man years ago... Um, used to used to use when he was still in business it actually you, you you submerse the trap you set the trap it's a spring so it's got an incredible kinetic energy right or potential potential energy sorry and uh you put it in the active trap and it actually the jaws actually go around the torso of the the mole and kill it right so yeah i mean they're they're dangerous you're not really going to find them in the big <laughs> box stores i think because of the liability but any of the, the online big box uh, stores like Amazon, they're about between 9 and $11 a pop. And um, folks want to search for them. They're just called Victor Out-of-Sight Mole Traps. Great. That's perfect. And thanks for the insight. Yeah. And also for everybody, too, it's multiple traps. You can't just put a single one, and you always have to migrate them. Keep the traps on the move You know, on a day when you don't actually you know get one or every other day or something like that. So thanks, Chuck. I appreciate your infight. <laughs> insight. Infighting, infighting with those moles. But uh, let's go now to Florissant from Shiloh and into Susan's yard. Hi, Susan. Hi. Um, I was wondering, um, I have a, um, in the back up against our home, about a 10-foot area, and it's boxed in with, um, like, boxing stuff to make it look like a box. Um, and I was looking for something to plant that's a perennial that comes back every year, that flowers that's not real straggly, that's kind of neat, something that's maybe about um, two feet high, three feet high. Now, what direction are we facing? Um, the sun comes, it gets um, morning sun up till about, uh, I guess, one o'clock. And that's in the summertime? Two o'clock, yeah. Okay. Maybe two o'clock in the summer. 
Okay, so probably what I would look at. So you're talking about a raised bed. That's what you're talking about. So it's it's ground level, and okay. it's just got the um, beams around it. I can't think of. Okay, what so it just has an edger around it. Right. So it just right. happens to be square. Um, probably with that amount of sun, you're going to be somewhat limited for continuous blooming circumstance. But I would I wouldn't go and buy a whole lot of anything. I would get a couple different things and try, you know, get three of them and just see which one is going to perform the best in this circumstance. I look at Coreopsis, C-O-R-E-O-P-S-I-S, Coreopsis Moonbeam. And I'm going to virtually, because I'm assuming you want this to look the best in the summertime, I look at Black-Eyed Susans as well. And I would look, take a look at those two different things. They're two different types of sunflowers, completely different looking, different texture, and everything else. And just get a couple of them and see how well they're going to perform for you. Mm-hmm. Now, what about like like a? I think it's like dianthus or something. Well, dianthus has a really short bloom period. Oh, okay. So, I mean, the perennial version. So, I'm talking about things that will give you multiple months of bloom. Also, if you want something shrub wise, you could look at the forever hydrangeas and see if you could add a you know one or two of those in there to add a little bit of interest as well. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Thank you. Yep. And Mike Miller, KMYX Garden Hotline. I'll be back after these messages. Very first thing in the morning, I, I like to know what's going on when I start my day. Then you need total information AM in your morning. I like to know what went on overnight when I was sleeping. News. The national and local news uh, in the morning. Weather. I definitely have to know the forecast. Traffic. Just to make sure there's no accidents. Sports. We're big sports fans. Get all the information you need in your morning. U.S. News, World News. Local News. Weather. Traffic. All the sports. With total information AM. I have it on during breakfast. Only on KMOX. St. Louis's News, Traffic, and Weather. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I've been doing a website-related type thing for quite a while. Initially, uh, Steve Moore, one of the big wheels here at KMOX, uh, asked me to start doing it, and it was actually being posted on the KMWEX.com website. I did that for a couple years, and a lot of times, the let's say the first of the month, I always start off with these, you know, these are kind of the things that, you know, kind of led up to what this month is going to be all about. So here's uh, back in 2003, winter drought. The St. Louis metro area is now five inches behind the normal amount of rainfall since last November. This is really has a detrimental impact on all types of evergreen plants, those that hold their foliage through the wintertime. The conifers, pines, spruces, junipers, the bamboos, the rhododendrons, the hollies, the magnolias, and boy, oh boy, it is just, you know, it's just, you know, it's terrible. And I, you know, I went back and just took a look at these because we always think, well, this year is just terrible, blah, 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 blah. But it was really kind of striking how many different, you know, let's say for the February, let's say opening paragraph. Here's one for 2004. January, it changed from the 70s early in the month to wind chills of 25 below. And again, this is going to have a real bad impact on the spring blooming shrubs and trees. And uh, flower leaf buds were really good. Oh, they got, they took a beating. And this is back in 2004. So a drought in 2003, a really cold snap, 25 below wind chills. 
in 2004. So, I mean, this is just shows you routinely what our nutty weather is all about. So I, I always keep all this, you know, crazy stuff. But anyway, uh, Prairie Town, Illinois, that's where Mike lives. Mike, how are you today? Good morning, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Uh, pompous grass. I usually burn it off. Is that better in the spring or in the fall? I like to do it in the spring because okay. I yeah. like the blade. You know, pompous grass is a little bit marginally hardy, but the blades staying up as long as they possibly can. They start shattering a little bit later on, sometime usually in February. Uh, actually, I'll offer winter protection for the crown, and that's where the new blades are going to come out. So it's kind of like. You know, just leaving the plant there as a mulch, and that's the same thing you would do with mums or asters or something like that. Leave the foliage through the entire winter time, then take care of it in the, let's say, late winter or early spring. Well, thank you so much. Well, sure. Yeah, good luck. And, yeah, pampas grass, that's totally wild stuff. I mean, the flowers shoot out of that thing, and they can get, like, 10-plus feet high. It's a really an amazing plant. So anybody else has any questions, 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. If you go to my website, you can see my updates for this February. So I start off this February. That means two thousand. What is this? Eighteen uh, January severe cold spells spice later in the month with warm ups have done damage, heaving and thawing of the ground. So in other words, when it gets really cold. Things It kind of compresses and gets rid of all the air in the ground, in the soil. And if your ground doesn't have any air in it, that's why plant material drowns because there's no good air, air circulation. So then, this, then it'll warm up and that'll open up areas. But what that does is also cause root systems, and especially any plant material that is less than, in the ground less than three years, to kind of be heaved up, pushed upwards. And that's where some major damage can can happen. And that's like damage to the crown of the plant, which I was just talking about with the pompous grass. Not the same thing related to the freezing and thawing, but it is really the same kind of circumstance where this heaving up, now all of a sudden the root systems, you know, are torn up a little bit from this heaving. So in other words, root hairs are like the size of hair, you know, people hair. And when it's pushed upwards and then, you know, that can tear the root hairs off. Those root hairs are what's responsible for absorbing nutrients and moisture both, and that's why plant material has a really rough time here. It's just that heaving and thawing and heaving and thawing and freezing and thawing and heaving, it just, it's really a very bad circumstance. That's one of the nice things about doing correct mulching. That helps buffer the cold somewhat. It doesn't eliminate the totally the possibility of uh, freezing and thawing circumstance, but it does buffer it considerably. So that's why when you put plant material in, you should plant it higher than above, you know, higher than the surrounding ground. You say, well, why do that? Because then that means you're exposing the crown, but you're putting mulch on top of it. So trees and shrubs, three to four inches, perennial plant material and ground covers one to two inches. Let's go to Tom's yard, and Tom lives in St. Louis County. Hi, Tom. Hi, how are you today? Very good. Uh, what is the biggest difference in the way you would trim or, or prune uh, an evergreen, say, <clears throat> a pine, to like, maybe like a river birch? What would be the difference? And I'll listen to my answer off air. Okay, that's fine. Uh, basically, timing-wise, you know, and also it just depends upon what you want, you know, why you're pruning, let's say, a, a pine. 
Pines generally, they should be placed and planted initially sided where they don't need a whole lot of pruning. Now, a lot of people say, oh, I got to cut off the lower branches because it's impossible for me to get, you know, around them or anything else. But generally with the evergreens, it's kind of smart to not put them someplace where you have to prune them. Now, I'm talking about pruning just to control sizes. And if you have to watch out with any of the evergreens that if you prune them too often, you can make it so they're not going to virtually put out any new growth because the candles, the new growth points, have a circumstance where once they've been cut off so many times, they're just not going to regenerate those new growth circumstances. Then as the needles of the pine or spruce or whatever it happens to be age, they're always dropped off You know, routinely, depending upon what type, exposure, and everything else. Every few years they're dropped off, and that's why when you look at them, they don't have any needles on the interior, first of all, because it has no light, and second of all, just because they've been sloughed off. And the difference between that, you know, pruning that and a virtually a river birch is river birches, they have, you know, they have a lot of branches. They're native to this area. They can handle our weather. They can handle all that stuff. And so consequently, you don't have to be quite so, let's say, touchy about pruning river birch. They can take pretty much pruning any time of year, with anything, though, you're always better to prune coming out of wintertime, from my perspective, as opposed to going into wintertime, because we just don't know how bad the winter is going to be. So that's basically what I'm saying is, you know, put the pines, put the evergreens, whatever it happens to be, in a part of your yard that doesn't need to be, you know, doesn't have to be pruned. You say, well, you know, you made a mistake or somebody made a mistake, you inherited it. And that's consequently, well, that's kind of the way it is. And so it's, you know, a tough thing. They prefer not to be pruned. So that's why generally when you buy, you know, prunes or buy pines, you're not going to see they shear them in the nurseries under these very strict circumstances. So they have really tight growth. But to, you know, duplicate or replicate that in your own yard is going to be a little tough. And you can cause them problems as time goes on because the production nurseries are only going to prune them, shear them, or whatever for X amount of years. You're putting it in your landscape to last for a long period of time. So now let's go to Henrietta in Arnold. Hi, Henrietta. Good morning. Hi. I have been given a beautiful two-foot-tall ornamental ginger plant, and I want to know how to care for it. Ooh, ginger, that's a tough one. But... uh Basically, a lot of sun and, you know, minimize the amount of watering you're going to do to it. Okay. And so, and when the days start getting longer, let's say sometime around the 1st of March, fertilize about once a month, about half label rate. And that's basically all you have to do. And then stop fertilizing once we get uh, into, let's say, mid to late summer, around August or something. No fertilizer after that point. Okay. Okay. And so just, you know, don't overwater. That's with pretty much any of the house plants for sure. And uh, what when the, you see, look, in the inside of the pot, when you see the potting mix start to shrink away, then you're going to water it at that time. I, even though I read so much that people keep saying, don't put saucers underneath your plants, all the house plants I have and all I've ever had, I always put saucers underneath them. The water drains down through the drainage holes, and it sits in the saucer for a few days, but it doesn't keep the plant, you know, drowning all the time. 
So I don't quite understand why people continue to say, don't put saucers there because you could damage the plant root systems. I've been growing plants for a long, long time. I'm not saying I haven't killed anything, but it just makes it so it keeps the humidity level a little bit, you know, better. And a ginger plant is, you know, really kind of a unique plant. So whoever gave that to you, I don't know what type of, or variety of ginger this is, but they get pretty large. So just kind of anticipate that. Yeah, it's a beautiful red. Oh, deep red. Wow. It's gorgeous. Gorgeous, Great. gorgeous. Sounds perfect. Thank you so much. And yes, I have a saucer under it. Perfect. So, okay. <laughs> have a blessed day. You do the very same thing. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Last week, we had several calls about Japanese beetles. Here's a list of plants that the Japanese beetles love. So, uh, you know, controlling them is, I mean, they're grubs. So grub control in the ground. If you have a history of Japanese beetles, you know, devouring some of the foliage on your plant material, get some grub control down. When are you going to put the grub control down? Well, you want to put it down uh, when the ground starts warming up, basically. And so let's, I'm going to kind of lump everything together as far as, that type of circumstance. When the forsythia is in bloom, get it down, follow the directions, don't overspread it, don't do anything else. And what it does is it penetrates down into the soil and then it gets the grubs. We have five different kinds of grubs here. One of them just happens to be the Japanese beetle. But some of the plants that the Japanese beetle really likes is the Japanese maple. What a coincidence. The Norway maple, the horse chestnut, the hollyhock, so in other words, uh, a hollyhock. So in other words, Rosa Sharon, uh, some of the birch trees. Uh, let's see what else. Hibiscus. So the Rosa Sharon again. Uh, walnuts. Hmm, I haven't seen them on walnuts that much. Some of the varieties of crab apple. They really get devoured. And uh, grapes. Oh, they love the grapes. And what the Japanese beetle does is it chews in between all the let's say veins of the foliage, and that makes it so. The plant can't, you know, absorb any sunlight to work together with the nutrients and moisture that came up with the, from the root system to create chlorophyll, which is food for the plant material. Some of the other ones that uh, they really like, they like the linden tree, they like the elm tree, they like, uh, well, mountain ash doesn't grow here. And it's this list has sassafras, and I can't honestly say I've seen them on sassafras, but that doesn't mean anything. I don't know everything. And then, of course, roses. That's where the first started to see the Japanese beetle doing some major damage, you know, to the roses. It was like, what's causing this? Because it makes everything really look very strange as far as foliage, foliage-wise. Here's some of the plant material that Japanese beetles do not like. Red maple, silver maple, boxwood, hickories, Flowering dogwood. You always wonder, why is there certain things that they like and why is there certain things that they don't like? All the holly trees, sweet gums. <laughs> I wish they did like them. Uh, mulberry trees. Let's see what else here. Uh, lilacs. The oak trees, for the most part, they don't do anything on the oaks. And then the pear trees. So those are the things, basically, the J- Japanese beetles do not like at all. Some of the things that you should be looking for... Um, you know, to change subject a little bit, 
related to deer damage. Here's some of the plants that are least appealing to deer. Any of the plants that have kind of a, a very fine textured foliage or very small foliage, they don't seem to like at all. Or anything that has kind of a grayish foliage or the foliage is you know fuzzy or hairy or things like that. So from a perennial standpoint, Russian sage, they don't like that at all. They don't like thyme. They don't like wild ginger. They don't like lamb's ear. They don't like lily of the valley. So why, you know, they don't like helleborus. So they don't like sedums. They don't like periwinkle. They don't like columbine. But boy, oh boy, there are plenty of things that they do. Even though in a severe winter, nothing is really safe because a lot of times they're chewing on plant material for the moisture factor. Like, let's say, any type of you. The females have the red berries. Red berries are the poisonous part. But still, you'll see the deer can munch on those things, and they have a way to, let's say, spit back out the red fruits so they don't have to, let's say, digest something. It's going to take several of them to do some, let's say, major sickness damage to the deer. But still, that's one of those circumstances where, hmm, you know, wildlife, you're going to do anything that you can to survive. Let's go to Craig, and Craig lives in St. Louis. Hi, Craig. Hi, uh, I got a question about trimming hydrangeas. We've just left all the sticks up. Is there? Do you take them down or just leave them alone until they bloom? How long have you had it? Uh, about ten years. So, sure. is it one that blooms in the summertime? Is it one that blooms in the spring? Um, all the summer. Okay, so in summer you can prune it if you want to. You don't have to. People We've get. You know, and, got a whole bunch of them, and they, you know, they spread, and now new sticks are coming up. Right. So if you want to kind of control that, that's fine. But uh, just realize, probably, you know, the new ones that are coming out are going to be on the perimeter. So if you want to control the size of it, just you know, keep pruning on the perimeter as opposed to taking out the center, because you take out the centers, let's say twigs coming up out of the ground, you're going to actually trigger some more spreading of it. So it all depends on what you're actually using this for. Via a or be it a hedge or be whatever you know the intent was. So cutting you know some of those new sprouts coming off, cut them back as close to the ground as you possibly can. Got it. Thank you. Yep. And the other ones, if you want to, if you want to control height and things like that, anything that blooms in the summertime, you got all the way up until the new growth starts coming, and that's you know weather dependent. Sometime in March, April, you can prune up to that point. So. That's because then it's going to set flower buds after then. So, in other words, plants that bloom in the summertime flower on new wood. So, thanks, Craig. And Donna lives in Warrington, Missouri. Hi, Donna. Hi. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I have a question about uh, we have pin oaks, and we got these field mice that are digging holes all around them uh, at the root base. Mm -hmm. How do we get rid of them? Uh, You're going to have to use some kind of poison. Or, you know, poison if you want to. If you have animals that you're concerned with, you know, what you can really do is just get a rat trap, which is bigger than a mouse trap, put peanut butter on it because mice really like peanut butter, and just trap them that way. That's probably what I would do. That's what you would do? Okay. Um, I, w- I have another suggestion. Um, what if I, what it, like, put the mice poison in the holes and then w- put a little bit of water in it? Would that work or not? Uh, that's probably going to help some, but uh, just because you see a hole doesn't mean there's anything down in there. I mean, oh, they're digging good. constantly and everything else. You could try it. 
I mean, there's been you know some people that have called in as far as control on some you know let's say you know different things in the ground. I mean, even which I would not do pouring be- bleach down into the hole and see if that will help control them. But if you're living in Warrington, are you living on the edge of woods or something? Yes, we have a, we're in, it's in a field, but yes, we are living on the edge of the uh, woods. Right. So, I mean, you're, this is going to be a constant ongoing battle. And the, the, unless you just don't like the mice, they're really not doing all that much damage. Oh, they're not, they're not going to kill the uh, pin oaks? No, no, not at all. Okay. So I would just kind of leave them alone. They're just part of, you know, they've been there for 150,000 generations. You've only been there for X amount of years. So Okay, well, we planted these trees uh, in 2010, and that's what I was worried, so they wouldn't tear them up. No, they really won't. For the You know, they don't, they're probably just nesting down in there. That's what they're doing. And they're digging there as opposed to someplace else because when you planted these, the soil was all worked up and everything else, so it's easier easier to dig in. That's okay, why they're right. doing it. Okay, and uh, when was the best time to prune them? Uh, basically, with any of the trees that are deciduous, you know, during the wintertime is the best time because you can see the branches. And also, if you've got branches you're taking all the way off, you know, cut them back, and they're longer, cut them back in sections with the last cut either next to the trunk or the largest branch it's growing off of, and just leave a very small stub, like a quarter to a half inch. Okay, thanks. Yep. And, yeah, it's just it's much easier to prune during the wintertime because you can see a lot more. And uh, the only thing I would not prune in the wintertime would be the maple trees. There's just too much sap flow. It doesn't really hurt them. It just, you know, it becomes a real kind of, let's say, aesthetic nightmare. So I would not do that. But with the oak trees or anything else, and if you're unsure on you know, what to take out, definitely take dead wood out, those type things, and uh, realize that the, I don't know how low you want the branches on it. You can limb the tree up, too, so have some of the branches start at a higher point. Virgil lives in Old Monroe. Virgil, how are you today? Hey, how you doing? Good. Hey, that lady just called in about the mice net around her tree. Right. What I, what I did for bulls, you know, B-O-L-V-E-S, I put honey in the hole and then cayenne pepper. So Whoa. when they got the honey on their feet, they licked the cayenne pepper and they said, oh, moo, and they <laughs> left the neighborhood. It, it, re- it really, really works, honest to God. You go to the dollar store, get the cheap honey and the cheap cayenne pepper, and you can't go wrong. Wow, that's a new one on me. I've never heard of that one. It, for, for moles and voles and mice like that, Squirt it down. It'll get three or four bottles of honey. Right. Go around all the holes, squirt it in there, and then put cayenne pepper. And, <laughs> oh, my God, you know, it, it not only burns when it goes in, and when it comes out the other end, it burns. So they say, hey, I'm out of here. Uh, so you could see some flames coming out the other end, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and around the 4th of July, it's beautiful. See all that nice color. Flames, oh. You know? <laughs> Very true. So thanks for the insight. Uh, to be honest with you, I've never heard of honey and cayenne pepper together. So that it, 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 it actually works. I've done it numerous times. Well, I trust you. And, uh, you know, thanks for calling and sharing that. Oh. See, that's what's okay. important with the listeners. You know, I've, you know, I've been doing this for quite a while, but there's many things that I have not had experience with. And there are certain things that work that maybe not publicized or out there as much. But I mean, this sounds like a great idea. And it's, I mean, it's totally organic. You don't have to worry about anything else. <laughs> the holes with the water in the hole. Right. Oh, that, did, that just watered the plant. 
didn't, it didn't do anything for the animals were down there, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, great. Thanks, Virgil. Okay. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, there's certain little, you know, things you don't know, and boy, oh, boy. It's just, like, I wouldn't have not thought of a combination like that. So if anybody else has any questions or concerns, we're going to have another hour. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Go out there and take a look. If you have zoysia lawn and you see green stuff in your zoysia, that means you've got other types of grass plants. I'm just talking about blades in your zoysia. So you know, a lot of times they're clumps like an annual bluegrass, and it's just as easy to go out there and just dig them up as opposed to trying to get rid of them later on. So it's once a zoysia starts greening up, it's really hard to see it and because at that same time that annual bluegrass is going to go dormant. But this whole winter time, it's been dropping seeds, and then it's going to come back. So it's really, you know, it's very smart to go ahead and as much as you may not like to bend over and dig things out, this is a good time of year to do it. Also, take a look at some of the broadleaf, you know, annual weeds as well. They may be winter burned because it has been so cold, but they're still going to come back very quickly, and they're still going to produce a lot of seed. So just keep that in mind. The pre-emergence, it's a little bit too early to put a pre-emergent down, but when the forsythia is in bloom, the yellow shrub, that's when you want to start getting the pre-emergent down because that means the soil temperature is about the same as it is to trigger germination of seeds. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will be back after the news. A proud partner of the 2018 100th PGA Championship at Bell Reeve Country Club. KMOX, KMOX HD, St. Louis. KZK HD3, St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law.